part two of my cryptocurrency exploration is on scaling blockchains. And I think Vitalik is probably the best and most articulate person to talk about this. There's two major paradigms for scaling blockchains, right? As uh, you said, layer one and layer two. And layer one basically means make the blockchain itself like capable of uh, processing more transactions by having you know some mechanism by which you can do that, despite the fact that there's a limit to the capacity of each participant in the blockchain. And then layer two says, well, we're going to keep the blockchain as is, but we're going to create clever protocols that sit on top of the blockchain that still use the blockchain and then still kind of inherit things like the security guarantees of a blockchain. But at the same time, a lot of things are done off-chain, and so you get more scalability that way. Um, so in Ethereum, the most popular paradigm for layer two is rollups, and the most popular paradigm for layer one is sharding. So mm -hmm. one way to achieve layer one scaling is to increase the block size. Yes. Hence the block size wars, quote unquote. Mm. And uh, you actually tweeted something about uh, mm -hmm. people are saying that Vitalik changed his mind about the, in, he, be, mm -hmm. he went from being a small no, I went from to, being big to small is it big uh, to small to and uh but you said i've been a medium mm -hmm. blocker all along so maybe you can also comment on on where on the very basic aspect before we even get the sharding of where sure. you stand on this block size debate sure so the way that i think about the trade-off is i think about it as a trade-off between making it easy to write to the blockchain and making it easy to read the blockchain Right. So when I say read, I just mean, you know, have a node and actually verify it and make sure that it's correct and all of those things. And then by write, I mean send transactions. So like, I think for decentralization, it's it's important for both of these tasks to be accessible. And I think that they're like about equally important, right? If you have a chain that's too expensive to read, then everyone will just trust a few people to like read for them. And then those people can change the rules without anyone else's permission. But if on the other hand, it becomes really expensive to write, then everyone will move on to like basically second layer systems that are incredibly centralized and like that takes away from you know decentralization and self-sovereignty as well so this has been my viewpoints like pretty much the whole time right it's that like you know you need this balance and going in one direction or the other direction is very unhealthy in the bitcoin case um, basically what happened was that Bitcoin originally, like at the very beginning, it didn't really have a block size. It just had an accidental block size of 32 meg or, or block size limit of 32 megabytes because that just happens to be the limit of the, the peer to peer messages. Um, but oh, then, interesting. I didn't even know that part. <laughs> yeah. But then um, Satoshi back in 2010 was worried that even 32 megabyte blocks would be too hard to process. So he uh, put the limit down to one megabyte. And, you know, I think the. If I put, you mean sneaked in there? Yeah, just like made an update to the Bitcoin software that made blocks bigger than one. I think it's a million bytes um, invalid. And I think the impression that most people had at the time is that, you know, this is just a temporary safety measure. And over time, you know, the, as we become more confident in the software, that limit would be like raised some, uh, so, somewhat. Um, but but then when the actual usage of the blockchain started going up and then it started going up first to 100 kilobytes per block, then to 250 kilobytes per block, then to 500 kilobytes per block. Um, you know, there started a kind of coming out of the, the woodworks, this opinion that like, no, that limit should just not be increased. And, and you know, then there are all of these attempts at compromising, right? Um, 
you know, first there's like a proposal for 20 megabyte blocks, then there was the 248 proposal, which is um, a bit ironic because the 248 proposal started off being a, like a small block negotiating position. But mm -hmm. then when the big block people came back and said like, hey, why aren't we, aren't we going to do this? They're like, oh, no, 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 we don't want, we don't want the block size increases anymore. Uh, so, you know, there were these two different positions, right? The small blockers, I think they valued one megabyte blocks for two reasons. One is that they just like really, really believe in the importance of uh, being able to read the chain. But two is that a lot of them really believe in, in maintaining this norm of never hard forking, right? right? So the difference between a hard fork and a soft fork is basically that in a soft fork, um, blocks that were... Any block that's valid under the new rules was still valid under the old rules. So if you have a client that verifies according to the old rules, then you'll still be able to accept the chain that follows the new rules. Whereas with a hard fork, like you have to update your code in order to stay on the chain. Mm -hmm. And look, they have this belief that you know soft forks are kind of either less coercive than hard forks, which by the way, I completely disagree with. Um, I actually think soft forks are more coercive because like basically they force everyone who disagrees to sort of go along by default. So this might be a good time to talk about rollups. What are rollups? <laughs> okay. And now we're moving into layer two ideas. Yes. So the idea behind a rollup is basically that, so instead of um, just publishing transactions directly on chain, and having everyone you know, do all of the checking of those transactions. Um, what you do is you create a system where users send their transactions to some part, like central party called an aggregator. Mm -hmm. And like, well, theoretically you can have a system where like the aggregator switches around or where anyone can be an aggregator. So, you know, it, it's still like permissionless to send things. Um, then what the aggregator does is they strip out all of the transaction data that like, is not relevant to helping people update the state. So when I say the state, this is like a, this is a very important kind of technical term for blockchains. I mean like account balances, code, um, like things that are like memory, internal memory of smart contracts. So like basically everything the blockchain ha actually has to keep track of and remember, right? So ju you just put in a. Um, you take all these transactions, strip out all the data that's not relevant to telling people how to update the state. Mm -hmm. And then you take the data that you, that's needed to update the state and then you like really compress it, right? So like, for example, if we say, you know, I, Vitalik, have an account that's 0x, AB, 5, 8, blah, 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 and it's 20 bytes. Well, instead we can say, well, I have an account that is number 1874224 in the tree. Right. Mm -hmm. And that goes down from 20 bytes to just like an index and a position, which is three bytes. Right. So you use all sorts of these fancy compression tricks and you basically just instead of publishing all these transactions, you publish this like tiny compressed blob. Mm -hmm. Right. So the amount of data that goes on chain goes down by maybe about a factor of 10. Right. And then the second thing is that you don't do the computation on chain. Instead, you do the computation off chain and there's one of two ways to do this, right? One is called a ZK rollup, which is you just provide a ZK snark that basically says, hey, look, I did this computation and uh, and I have this proof that here's the, here's the, you know some hash of the result and it's correct. And then you stick it on chain and everyone verifies this one proof instead of verifying all these transactions. And then the other approach is called an optimistic rollup, which is basically made of this scheme where like 
first someone says like, hey, this is what I think the result of the of uh, applying these uh, transactions is. And then someone else can say, I disagree. The result is different. And only if two people disagree, do you actually do it on, uh, do you actually just like publish all of the data and run the whole, that, that whole block on chain. So if there's disagreements, then you just like run everything on chain and whoever was wrong, like loses a lot of money, right? So like disagreements are very rare and they're very expensive. And in a ZK rollup, you don't even rely on this like challenging game at all. You just rely on a proof. So, you know, the core principle is basically that instead of lots of transactions and all the trans everyone verifies every transaction, it is you take the transactions, you strip, it, strip them down and compress them as much as possible, then stick that on the blockchain. You do need to stick something on the blockchain just so that everyone else, everyone else can like keep like keep up to date with the state, so they know you know what all the contracts are, what all the balances are, and all of this. But it's a very small amount of data, and then you use some one of these other off-chain games. You know, could be this um, optimistic game, could be a zk snark to just prove that somebody out there did the computation and the result is correct. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're pushing like ninety percent of the work off-chain, and then you know, well, ninety percent of the data and ninety-nine percent of the computation off. -chain chain, and then you still have 10% of the data and 1% of the computation on chain. And so, you know, your scalability goes up by a factor of about 100. So these systems are already live for, for some applications, right? So there's something called loopering, which is just a, a ZK rollup for payments, right? So you can have, you know, assets inside of, a, uh, inside of the loopering system, and you can go around and transfer them. But uh, what you... Um, and you get like much lower transaction fees, right? Like instead of five dollars, you'd have to pay like less than five cents. Um, but the only problem is that this only supports a couple of applications right now. Like making one that su supports anything that you can do on Ethereum just takes a bit more work. But that's being done as well, right? So like within a few months, I'm expecting you know fully Ethereum um, capable uh, um, rollups to. Um, be available as well. So right. then, you know, so rollups, just summarizing, you know, do most of the work off chain, put only a little bit on chain, factor of 100 scaling, sharding, another factor of 100 scaling, 100 times 100 factor of 10,000, you know, hundreds of thousands of transactions a second, and like, you know, there's your scalability. 